five in the eye. Hello, this is Phil Woodford in the hot seat, offering a very warm welcome to episode 0356 of Five in the Eye on Colourful Radio. It's the show where we dissect the week's news in our laboratory and give you a detailed breakdown of our discoveries. Now, Michael has unfortunately been under the weather this week, so we send him our best wishes for a speedy recovery and welcome a special guest to the show. He's an old friend of the eye, barrister, communications expert, and all-round good egg, Kola Shanaiki. Hi there, Kola. Welcome back. Hey, hi there, Phil. Really good to be back. Let's hope Michael gets himself up and running again soon. Uh, so I can reveal that our top story this week is about the self-styled big dog, our Prime Minister Boris Johnson. He was lauded in Kyiv uh, when he addressed the Ukrainian parliament via video link, but also notched up a pretty disastrous interview on ITV in advance of the local elections. Uh, what exactly are his prospects right now? Mm. For our second story, we head to the USA. A leaked judgment from the US Supreme Court indicates that the country's top judges may be about to overturn 50 years of abortion rights. What exactly are the implications? And what's our third story this week? Well, we're going to talk about the law firm which has offered its employees a chance to work from home, but only if they take a 20% pay cut. Interesting. And for story number four, we recall Maradona's infamous Hand of God goal in the 1986 World Cup. The shirt he wore on that day was swapped with England midfielder Steve Hodge, who's now sold it for a divine £7 million. And finally this week, to wrap up the five, it's the latest sighting of the well-known creature of the deep, the Loch Ness Monster. Nessie has been around for almost as long as Michael. And that's this week's... Five in the Eye. Well, we're going to kick off this week with uh, Boris Johnson and his government. I'm just going to say to start off, because Michael's off... uh, ill this week uh, and Collar's very kindly stepped in. We're recording on Thursday morning. So this is a pre-recorded show on Thursday and we haven't yet seen all the local election results. Although um, I think we can guarantee that they're not going to make wonderful reading for the government. And I I understand that some of them are probably not going to come in until the weekend anyway. But we wanted to look back on this just this period just gone. Um, Boris Johnson has made a lot out of uh, a lot of political capital out of the the, the tragic situation in Ukraine. And whilst um, you know undoubtedly the government has probably been doing the right kinds of things and making the right kinds of noises, we we sense that maybe Boris is very keen to milk this to his advantage. And he uh, gave um, a, a video link speech to the uh, the Parliament in Kiev, which was very rapturously received, and the Union Jacks were out in the Parliament and and and, and so on. So um, Boris, we, we we talked recently on the show about the the, the fact that uh, even streets are being named after him, apparently in Ukraine. But um, the other side of the coin collar, where he wasn't quite so well received, he he did an interview on primetime TV. Um, uh, this morning on ITV and Susanna Reid was interviewing him and a couple of things stood out from that rather bizarre interview. The, 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 the first was when he was challenged about an old age pensioner who um, was, uh, w- was forced through uh, lack of ability to heat her home to travel around on a bus. Boris responded that he was the one who had 
ensured 24-hour freedom passes. I mean, uh, it, it, as tone-deaf responses go, this must surely be one of the pinnacles of, 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 of British politics. And, and then his final faux pas, they were about to hand over to Lorraine, uh, who, Lorraine Kelly, who, who, who fronts this uh, major show uh, afterwards, and Boris didn't appear to know who she was. Who's Lorraine? Who's Lorraine? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, who is this Gaza? So, Collar, what, what do you make of Boris, his antics before the election, his prospects now? Oh, it feels like going to a buffet. <laughs> you know, it's so much on offer. Uh, my kind of bias is obviously clear normally when I talk about Boris. So let me try and be fair to him first of all, and then I'll do what I normally do. Uh, he has done as good a job in regards to Ukraine as I think you would want a British prime minister to do, uh, which is put himself, put the country at the forefront of the I guess the moral battle as well as the military battle, standing up for a country that is being invaded by an aggressor. Uh, now, there's a lot of actually some pretty good arguments about, you know, uh, whether the narrative that the West is is following is entirely accurate. But nevertheless, he has done his part. And you can't really argue with that. He actually traveled to Kyiv, uh, met Zelensky, giving the speech, was very well received in Ukraine from a communications point of view. I actually thought it was a pretty poor speech, but it nevertheless worked in Ukraine as it was meant to. Uh, and, you know, they've given arms and all that stuff. Stuff The, the refugee um, uh, scheme is kind of in tatters, uh, but, you know, they're trying to do it. So that's me giving him as good as I can uh, uh, kind of props. But the truth is, I think it is entirely self-serving. And I think anybody that knows Boris Johnson knows that it is entirely self-serving. He is inserting himself as much as possible in, on the world stage because when you are doing foreign policy stuff, you generally aren't questioned about the stuff that actually is much more important to the people where you live. Uh, and that's why they're doing things, you know, they're teasing ideas like, you know, you mustn't change a leader during a war. Total nonsense. It's not our war. And secondly, there have been lots of leaders who've changed during the middle of, of wars. And it's not as if, you know, he is doing something that other leaders wouldn't because other leaders have different views on Ukraine. So I agree with you entirely that all he's doing is inserting himself to try to kind of stretch out and negate the impact of Partygate, which is appalling, and negate the impact of a lot of the stuff that's going on at home, which is terrible. And then you come to the interview. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it was just a total dog's dinner. And actually, I, I haven't looked this up, but I did hear it on another um, program saying that he wasn't the one who introduced the Freedom Pass anyway. So, you know. Yeah, I think the Freedom Pass long predates him. I mean, right. know, his, his, his first instinct is to tell some lie. Exactly. It? Exactly. It's to tell a lie. And more importantly, it's to think about himself. It's, oh, they're saying something. How can I put myself forward or make it about me? Just total, utter nonsense. And really, so it's a really difficult thing when you're running a government and you have to think macro, right? The big ideas, billions. And a journalist is doing her job of putting to you the micro, right? Individual stories. So it's actually quite difficult. But actually, what you've got to do is to lean into the micro and like really talk about, you know, I don't know Elsie's position, but you know what? 
um, can you please tell her to reach out to my team and then whatever. Yeah. This is what show, we've done. Show with, some empathy. I mean, show, show some empathy. Sake, I mean, right? and this is something that Johnson seems utterly incapable of. And this seems to be a major personality flaw, doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't, I think it goes beyond his privileged background and the fact that, you know, he's Eton and Oxford and all the rest of it. I mean, there's an element of it that's obviously class related because, you know, ITV one is a closed book to him. You know, he, yeah. he, he he's never watched Lorraine. He doesn't Lorraine. he doesn't know what I mean, come Britain's, on Lorraine. He, he's never seen Dickinson's Real Deal or or, yeah. or BGT, and um, so so you know he he's lost in that kind of world. There's a kind of cultural class divide, but then there's also a fundamental personality flaw, which is this inability to understand uh, the plight of someone who is so poor that they can't heat their own home and they have to go on a bus i mean come yeah. on well so i i always have this theory that actually that is the fundamental um absence in right wingers and conservatives is a lack of empathy um because so often they just don't get it i think the another minister um uh, got up and said, "Oh, they should just try and get um, cheap, use cheaper food. They should use yeah. over." George, you know, George like, Eustace, George Eustace, yeah, 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 yeah. George Eustace. I mean, he, he's like, presumably <laughs> he's presumably cutting back to Waitrose Essentials, right? Range, yeah, 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 exactly. That's what that's his definition. You know, it, it's just it's a total lack of understanding that most people, ninety percent of people, live lives that they are, and I don't mean this pejoratively, but they're stuck in, as in they can't just make changes. That would radically transform things they have to take the job that's working far far too long hours they have to um or not take a job because they can't get you know there's 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 structural things that are just almost impossible to overcome without help and that's what a government should be in the business of um so Susanna reed actually i thought did an excellent job in talking about things like yeah forget about oh we have to help the oil companies invest how about you help the people that elected you? And I Absolutely. think that's the, that's the right way. I mean, I, I'm, of the, I'm of the view that Johnson will have to go before the next election if the Tories are, have to, are to have any chance of winning. I mean, I, I don't, I think he's now, he's gone from being an asset to being a liability. And I think the Tories probably know that. Uh, the question is when they act against him and how long they leave it and so on, in my, in my view. But let's say he does survive the immediate short term, the cost of living crisis becoming more and more intense. And we've got, you know, one of the, I mean, leaving aside the Ukraine business as a reason to keep him on, which I agree with you is complete, completely ridiculous. I mean, the even more ridiculous argument, keep him on to tackle the cost of living crisis. I mean, what the hell's he done to tackle the cost of living crisis? What's his government doing? I mean, they, they could find themselves in really profound trouble over the summer and into the autumn if this continues, couldn't they? Do you, do you think, Colin? Listen, it's the economy, stupid, right? Actually, I think if we didn't have the economic conditions that we do have, then, you know, I think, you know, they, you know, local elections and stuff like that, governments always do badly and generally. But if we didn't have that stuff, I actually think he would win again. Uh, I compare it to Donald Trump's first victory where he said all sorts of things that, you know, made the news and everybody said, this is terrible and he's a liar. But he won because he appealed to that kind of populist economic issues. We've got to, you know, to get America back, you know, building things in America, that kind of thing, because it's the economy, stupid. So that is actually, I, I agree with you entirely, that's the main problem that the government has. Problem thing is, though, 
that will probably, at least you would hope, improve in the next year or so, you know, when inflation starts to come down, they maybe get the supply issues sorted out, they somehow bring in some some laws that actually help people. So that by the time you get to the election, and then it comes back to a choice between do you like Boris Bomblin's style or do you like Kirstana's rather um, kind of stale, statesman-like, but a little bit insipid approach, no guarantee that he won't pull it out again. Yeah, so, I, 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 I think that's right. I think personally, the next election is going to be close. And, and I, 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 I am slightly nervous. I remember 1992 when no one thought that John Major would be capable of winning yeah. an election, and yet he did. Well, I'm sure it's something that we'll come back to that Michael and I will return to. Um, big dog, not yet out of his kennel. Wait, I, I know I shouldn't do this, but I've got one quick question. Is it Kiev or Kiev? Oh yes, good. And if it's Kiev, <laughs> do we now have to eat chicken Kiev? But anyway. well, yeah, good. I I do believe that some supermarket chains have rebranded their their products to chicken Kiev, right. uh, it, uh, as I believe Kiev is the is the Russian pronunciation. But ah. uh, yes, yes, uh, an interesting point. Let's move on now. Five in the eye. Story number two. Yes. Uh, so story two is about the leaked draft of a judgment by the U.S. Supreme Court on the issue of abortion. So there has been a long-standing case called Roe v. Wade in America that I think was in about the 1970s that established that abortion was a constitutional right for women, uh, and so no state could outlaw it to the extent that it to make it impractical. Uh, beyond a certain period. And that was then approved by a number of other cases, including one called Planned Parenthood and Casey, and is kind of a hot button topic. The right basically wants to uh, cancel that law because they say there's a right to life for everything that's a fetus onwards. The left talk about a woman's right to uh, manage her own body effectively, and therefore abortion should be legal. And this case has made its way through and the judgment was leaked before it was actually been officially handed down by the court, which is a whole big issue there as well. That suggests that the heavily conservative uh, uh, court has struck down Roe v. Wade, which basically makes it open season for states to now uh, apply very draconian anti-abortion laws. Uh, so that's where we are. I mean, where? let me ask you, first of all, um, Phil, is where do you stand on the issue of abortion itself? You know, the easy questions first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, my, my, my view of this, to be honest, would be that, uh, you know, a, abortion, whether we like it or not, is something that will take place within society. It happened before it was legal, except it happened in ways that jeopardized the the lives of women uh, that were very potentially dangerous this is the world of backstreet abortions so my 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 view is that um women have the right to a safe uh, abortion um and that um no law should stand in the way of that and so i would tend to take a fairly fundamentalist view that these rights should be protected. I mean, obviously, there is discussion to be had over 
the detail of all of that um, and, 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 and so on. So it's not kind of a blanket thing, perhaps, but it's, there's a fundamental principle involved. Is that the way you would see it, Colin? I, I do. Uh, and I actually, so my, my approach to all of this is that there are extremely good arguments on both sides. If you believe that life begins from conception, and that is an entirely justifiable view, then there is nothing that justifies killing that life. So supporting the right to life or being anti-abortion makes perfect sense and is entirely legitimate. On the other side, if you believe that women should have the right to determine what happens to their own body, which is entirely legitimate, then you have to accept that abortion should be a fundamental right. And I don't think those two positions can ever, ever be reconciled, which means the answer is to rely on the third way, which is what human beings have always done when they've been intractable positions after they fought it out you know, militarily, is to be entirely practical, which is what is a good middle ground that basically both sides are not entirely happy with. And that, it seems to me, actually is what is the moment of viability for a fetus, kind of in general, I guess, because, you know, some may be viable earlier than others. What's the moment of viability, which is basically what it generally and, and is. And that, that maybe moment. is something that has shifted over time with medical exactly. advances and so on. And, and exactly. you see you see some legislatures grapple with that, including the UK, mm. uh, over a period of time. I mean, I, I, I think... You know, the fundamentalists in America, as you rightly say, have made this a kind of touchstone issue. And for them, you know, Trump, for the, there's a number of people for whom Trump's presidency was all about this yeah. issue, really, and possibly related issues to do with uh, lesbian and gay rights and, uh, and, and the sanctity of the, the traditional family and all of this kind of stuff. And so fundamentalist Christians in the, in, in the US, they yeah, might, I, they might I, not just, have liked them. Yes, they so might just, not like Trump as an individual, uh, but they they saw him as a vehicle to 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 pack the court with right wing justices. Yeah, ju so just on that, especially the Christian implication of it. First of all, there's actually no mention whatsoever in the Bible of abortion as an issue in any way. Uh, the only references are very oblique, and it actually tends to suggest that that abortion isn't that a fetus isn't seen the same as an actual born life so a child that has taken its first breath so the the bible doesn't actually support the abortion position and also i where i have issues is that there's a lot of um inconsistency in the right to life argument because for me if you take the right to life position entirely legitimate then you must also be against the death penalty because mm -hmm. that is somebody who literally is alive. And if you're saying nobody has a right to take a life and all of that, then you must be it. But you actually tend to find that people who are for right to life are also for the death penalty. Uh, and then most importantly... Dare, dare, dare I suggest a lot of them anti-mask and anti-corona uh, restrictions well, there as, you go. as, as exactly. well, allow, allowing, uh, allowing hundreds of thousands of people to die as a result. To die, exactly, because, you know, you must respect my right to, you know, do what I want with my body, just totally inconsistent. But the part that bugs me the most is that they are also the ones that tend to have no empathy. This is what I'm talking about, the right wing, basically, for people who have been born. So the minute that child comes out, they want to, you know, cut, all benefits the child say, no, the mother, you know, you have to look after yourself, live on your own two feet. 
uh, knowing they don't support the kind of the foster care system and all of those things or benefits, things like that. So they they force usually underprivileged women to have children that are just not right in those circumstances at their own medical health risk. And then they say, right, you're on your own, don't care about the life. It's it's totally hypocritical in my view. Just before we leave the, this subject, the, the, the kind of legal, political implications of, of it all, there's a couple of things. First of all, there was this leak. And I mean, I, as a lawyer, I'm guessing you would probably think that despite the fact that this is a kind of rather um, in, well, uh, you know, significant and, uh, and, and quite strident opinion from, from the court, there is a principle involved that probably this stuff shouldn't be leaked. Oh, should not be leaked. That, I mean, whoever did that and they get to the bottom of it, that person is in trouble. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. It's a really big deal. And, and, and um, then there's the issue of kind of what the left and what Biden and, and, and someone would do about this. I mean, they could try to pass federal law to uh, enshrine the right of abortion, but that's actually very difficult given the balance of political power. They could try to pack the Supreme Court with more liberal judges. That involves Congress overturning a 19th century act. Um, you know, they, they, their options are fairly limited, aren't they? They are in terms of getting something done, but politically, it's a gift to the left because there's nothing better than a topic that unites your side, which this does, and divides the other because actually uh, Republican voters are actually quite divided on the issue as well. And so it allows them to say, we're going to fight for it, knowing that there's no hope whatsoever that actually they'll be able to succeed. I think they should actually have the vote in the Senate anyway, just to force people, the the, the um, senators and, and congressmen, to actually have to take a stand on where they are. And then that allows them to fight about it, because they were looking at a pretty bad loss in the midterms that come up in November. Uh, but this might actually give them something to energize their voters to turn out for and put the other side on the back foot. So uh, it's a little bit of a gift uh, on it, but we'll see what actually happens. Five in the eye. Story number three this week is about um, a law firm called uh, Stevenson Harwood in London. And they have offered their lawyers and other staff within the firm um, the opportunity to formalize kind of their, their working from home and flexible arrangements. And uh, the idea is that you can work from home if you want, but you're going to have to accept a 20% pay cut. Now, I know that amongst other things, you're an employment lawyer, Collar. Um, so give us, give us your take on this. I mean, there's, there's the legal aspects of it. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that, um, you know, provided people sort of, that there's some mutual agreement to the, these change of contractual terms. It's something that can happen if, if, if both parties want it to happen. But then there's the, the wider political issue, which would be, uh, are we going to see a two-tier job market where people who work in the office earn more than people who work at home? Oh, this, I, I think this is just a terrible decision on a couple of levels. Uh, firstly, contractually, you can agree it from an employment point of view. However, it may be something that is subject to challenge on discrimination grounds, on indirect discrimination grounds, on the basis that 
women are more likely, just because that's the way of the world, women are more likely to want to or need to work from home because childcare issues than men. So this negatively affects more women than it does men. Uh, they would then have to justify the 20% pay cut or any pay cut at all. And that's where I think they actually may get in difficulties. Guys, you just found your barrister. If you're, if yes. you're, if you're working <laughs> yes. at Stevenson Harwood, just you get in touch with Collar. Yes, contact me on O2 or something, yes. Um, but, and that's actually, I think, that what gets to the nub of the issue, which is, I don't know about you, Phil, but when I work from home, I do far more work than when I work in the office. You know, so if it's about productivity, I think they're on a losing uh, ground anyway. And the only justification I've seen that they've brought in is we want our employees to come in. We think it's better for people to be together. Uh, now, there is a legitimate view on that. I know I actually miss being in chambers where it's an open door. You jump into another barrister's room and I'll pick their brain on things and people do that to me as well. So there's definitely a lot to be said for that. But that ain't worth 20%. Yeah, no, I, I, I can understand that. And I mean, I suppose another argument would be, well, people working from home don't have the commuting costs and so on. That would, I mean, it's not going to amount to 20% of their salary, is it? But um, it could, I mean, that commuting costs uh, into London, if you live outside London, could run into thousands of pounds a year, couldn't they, potentially? Yeah, but that's not for an employer, you know, unless they want to pay people's commuting costs and then say, oh, okay, we're cutting your commuting costs if you don't come in. Fine. Yeah, but they're yeah, not yeah. doing that. And, you know, I might ride in, I might walk in, I might take some bus versus the team. Yeah. You know, I might have a, um, you know, an annual, you know, travel card, which is less, you know, it's just, you can't be doing that. It basically means, if you think about it, that they're working one day for free. Yeah, yeah. Why? Yeah. Um, so our message to this law firm is maybe you misjudged this, uh, but undoubtedly it's an issue. These kinds of issues have come out of the pandemic and they're going to be around for quite a long time, aren't they? When we're, we're, we're going to be discussing this whole debate about working from home, the value of offices, people paying for office space in big cities at great expense when people aren't coming in. And I've spoken to people who are telling me, you know, well, you can't get people to come in on Mondays. You can't get people to come in on Fridays. The office is a ghost town. Uh, yeah. So it's, it, 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 it's tough, isn't it? It certainly is. But the question is, what is it that you are working for from a business point of view? Is it that you want people to show up so that you can say, you know, as we lawyers, you know, oh, yeah, I've billed a certain number of hours. It doesn't matter how productive those were. I've billed a certain number of hours, in which case, yes, you must come in. Yes, you've got to be in the office. Or is it that you want to achieve a great output, in which case the office is just a means the truth is, this is an old school approach to a modern issue. The office is no longer the place, the only place you can work. It is now a, it's now a, it's now a venue to meet up. You basically have to allow the hybrid. Five in the eye. Story number four this week. Connor, you remember, I'm sure, I mean, you're younger than me, but all the same, you will remember 1986. Oh, and, yes. Uh, a certain incident in the World Cup where one Diego Maradona um, managed to score a goal against England in, in rather dubious circumstances, shall we say. And when questioned about uh, a possible handball or what we think is 
a fairly obvious handball, perhaps in 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 England. Uh, afterwards, he he declared that the hand of God had been at play. Um, this has come back into the news, hasn't it? Okay, tell tell us uh, tell us why. Yeah, it has indeed. So his shirt at the end of the match, uh, the. Players generally swap shirts. I'm actually not sure how much they do it now these days, but they certainly did in those days swap shirts. And England midfielder Steve Hodge, and if you haven't heard that name, don't feel bad because he wasn't that glorious a player. I think he had about 20 caps or something. Uh, managed to kind of go over to Diego and say, all right, come on, mate, swap shirts. So presumably somewhere Maradona's estate has his shirt. Uh, and he bagged this shirt. And so he kept hold of it uh, for ages. And in fact, even when Maradona died in 2020 and everybody was begging him to sell it, he said, no, I I think he thought it would be disrespectful just cash in then. Uh, But he's obviously, um, you know, a couple of years later decided, right, I'm going to sell it. The price has gone wildly up and he sold it for seven point something million uh, pounds. Interesting thing on this, though, is in the UK, everybody talks about it as the hand of God shirt, effectively. Everywhere else, they talk about the other goal, probably the greatest individual goal that has ever been scored by any player in the World Cup. And that's the shirt he was wearing when he scored that goal. And it's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the British attitude is we was robbed. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. I, I, I think, to be, to be fair. I mean, Steve Hodges' shirt, a grand, maybe? How much do you, how much do you reckon, Connor? Well, I don't... No disrespect to Steve. I do remember him playing at Forest, and he was a, he was yeah. a good player there. But, uh, oh, you remember him, yeah. I, so it may be that because it was the one that Maradona must have gotten, that actually <laughs> the price has gone up. But yeah, it won't be, won't be seven, seven million. Uh, but great game. And what a player. Uh, he, was, he was just... Awesome. And what I loved about him was that he loved life, you know, totally flawed character, but he was a real, you know, interliving. He loved drinking, partying. He loved his women as well, uh, but he just loved life. And he played with kind of passion, which often is missing, especially in a lot of mo- modern plays. So I, yeah, I loved the man. He was, uh, I'm still a Pele guy fundamentally, because that's who I really kind of, watched as um, in you know my father like looking at football when i got into football but yeah awesome awesome five in the eye and our final story this week we're going into the wilds of scotland um now i've been to loch ness a couple of times Colin. Oh, have you i have and uh i i'll be honest i was on the lookout for this mythical sea creature the loch ness monster when i was there uh, disappointingly it never made an appearance when <laughs> didn't i was, show up no no not when i when i was there but um there's some more uh footage taken recently isn't there of of, of supposed sighting of, of, yeah. Ness, of nessie were you convinced by it well i mean i so i love stories like this just because it's fun and you don't have to apply too much logic to it but applying logic, I'm like, how old must this monster be? <laughs> you know, I know alligators and stuff can live for a couple of hundred years and tour turtles and turtles or whatever. But really, this must be like thousand year old monster, unless it's just been having kids, uh, in which case you'd think there'd be a sighting of two of them at one point. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, why not? It's uh, we need a bit of mystery stroke lack of seriousness in this world and you know if this provides it 
then yeah, let's let's say that we saw it even if we, it was just a ripple, you know, the fish or something. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 I suppose it's the Loch Ness monsters on a par with, say, Bigfoot or the yeah. Yeti or something like this. These kind of creatures that have a folklore around them. Yeah, like, Bor- it, like Boris Johnson's Boris, empathy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Boris. Yeah, Boris, the the the, the, the mythical prime minister. Who, yeah, we 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 believe at some points maybe managing the affairs of the country. Yes. Um, has been has been seen occasionally lurking in party environments. When you went up, was that was it was there a whole thing about it? Or yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you could go on tours and everything. Yeah. I mean, I remember being driven around in a little uh, minibus by a guy called Jimmy o or something like this, and he was saying that oh, you know, yeah, he was telling you how it was nine hundred feet deep in the uh, in the middle of the in the middle of the lock, and you were left to believe that. Definitely, you know, some in 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 water that with of that depth, who 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 knew what could lurk there? I think there's quite a few people making their living out of memorabilia. And uh, I was going to say that's a great that's a great business because presumably all you did was saw a lake. It's not yeah, like yeah, going yeah, on yeah, safari where yeah, you yeah. actually see animals. <laughs> exactly. I don't. I don't. I don't think our driver had ever ever been forced to kind of fire his gun in anger or anything like that at the at the lake. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, listen, why not? Great business. Five in the eye. Well, that's it for episode 0356. Next week's show will be broadcast from a submarine at the bottom of Loch Ness, and we'll relate to you exactly what we see. Thanks so much to Collar for joining us here today. My pleasure, Phil. A lot of fun. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Phil and Michael, then just visit the Five in the Eye Facebook page where you can leave a comment and maybe see some of the stories they're considering for next week. Uh, for now, this is me, Kolari Lishunaike, in London, checking out and saying goodbye. And this is Phil Woodford reminding you to keep an eye on the news as you never know what we'll be discussing on next week's Five in the Eye. Goodbye. Five in the Eye.